Well, good morning. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir and instrumentalists and vocalists for leading us well this morning in worship. So appreciate that. My heart is already so full this morning. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm sure thankful for the privilege to speak to you this morning. I have a question for you. Have you ever had someone of significance searching for you? Somebody important looking for you? I bet you have. I bet it started when you were a kid. Like when you would come home and your mom said, I'm glad you're here, your dad's been looking for you. <laughs> He's out in the garage, he wants to talk to you. Uh-oh. Think which sibling ratted me out, right? Maybe you had the privilege of a, as a kid of being in school and hearing your name crackle across the PA as you're summoned to the principal's office. Well, that is a long, lonely walk to the principal's office. You're starting to think, you know what? I don't know that they hand out the perfect attendance this way. This might be something else, right? As you get older, you have kids, and you get the phone call from the principal's office, and they say, hey, we need to talk to you about your child, and you think, this probably isn't about perfect attendance, right? (laughs) You know, as we get a bit older, those phone calls can have more significance, like when The doctor's office calls and the doctor says, I need to see you. We need to talk about your last visit. We need to talk about your test results. Maybe at work you get a call from the boss. We need to talk. You get the email, come to my office. It's a serious thing when someone significant is searching for you. When I was being interviewed here at the church, I remember first meeting my future boss, Dr. Batson, and uh, being a bit intimidated, honestly. I remember walking in, and he said hello, and he just looked me kind of up and down. And he said, uh, you look taller than you do in your picture. <laughs> Is that good? I can be shorter. I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> these hills are ridiculous. Uh, uh, after I was hired, I remember him just coming in and checking in on me. I was, I was unpacking. How are you doing, Brad? Are you settling in well? And I get so nervous because we just didn't know each other yet. And I would say something weird. I didn't know if I should be praying or, or what should be happening. And it's uncomfortable. And I remember those first few calls where the voice on the other line said, um, Dr. Batson needs to see you in his office. Uh-oh. I remember walking up the stairs that way, thinking, has he talked to my dad? (laughs) Does he know about my office trip to the principal's office, right? They all turned out good so far. You know what that's like, don't you? The feeling of knowing somebody of significance is searching for you. Well, there's an instance in Scripture in the Old Testament of a king who is searching for a young man what it must have felt like to know that the king was looking for you. The biblical story of Mephibosheth doesn't get a lot of attention. In fact, chances are it wasn't in your Sunday school coloring book as a child. Your teacher probably didn't have it in flannel graph, and unless you've recently studied 2 Samuel, it's probably not a name fresh in your mind. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of the notorious King Saul. We first read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 4, when in this moment of great haste, a tragic fall has left Mephibosheth crippled at only five years old. 
his father, grandfather, both killed, his mother not around. His homeland in political turmoil, he eventually ended up living in the land of Lodabar. It literally means without pasture. According to one biblical encyclopedia, in fact, it says, Mephibosheth's life is a series of disasters, disappointments, and anxiety. It is a weary, broken down, dispirited soul that speaks in all his utterances. Maybe that's why we maybe didn't talk about it much in Sunday school as a child. If you fast forward years later, we find David settling into a new role as king of Israel. He had just finished a successful campaign against the Philistines. When he remembered the covenant he had made with his late friend, Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, years earlier. In one of their last conversations, Jonathan sealed their relationship and their friendship with these words, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with one another in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me, between our descendants forever. David and Jonathan go their own ways. Well, with this in mind, David begins an investigation to see if Jonathan had any living descendants. The answer comes back quickly from a servant who used to serve Saul. He says, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. This morning, I wanna talk to you about the kindness of the king. The kindness of the king. And I believe if you will trust God's word, if you will open your mind this morning to the truth in it, that there are transformational truths for your life. I wanna show you several points from this passage. The first thing that I want you to pay attention to is the king calls. The king calls. Look at verse one with me in 2 Samuel chapter nine. It says this, then David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they came to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king says, there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. See, David had pledged to Jonathan he would never forget the covenant that they had made that had bound them together. David says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul? Anybody left in Jonathan's family? And yes, there was a crippled son of Jonathan. He was five years old at the time of the accident. David hadn't really seen him. He probably wasn't around in the public contests at the time because of his lameness. I want you to notice that Mephibosheth's name wasn't even used early on in this passage. His crippled condition not only consumed him, it defined him. To the rest of the world, he was merely the leftover crippled son of Jonathan. It's interesting in that time how they would call upon someone, how they would search for them, how they would call for them. It was a big deal, very different from what you and I would experience today when we get an email or we get a text, or we get a phone call. Isn't it interesting how we receive phone calls in this day and age? When you get a call, you can typically see who it is. 
You can choose to ignore that. You can let it go to voicemail. You can deal with it later. You can answer it. It's very interesting. My generation, the way we answer phone calls is very interesting. See, the, the phone call is quickly becoming that uninvited guest at your front door for my generation. And when we get a phone call, we're kind of surprised. We forget the sound of our ringtone. We think, what is that? What is that? What's going on in there? And so we figure it out it's our phone and we look at it like, oh, it must be an emergency. Why is this person calling me? Have they, have they suffered some form of thumb trauma that they can't text me? What's going on here? We look down and we say, oh, I'll just let it go to voicemail and I'll see if it's important enough to call them back. The younger generations are that way as well. It's interesting the way we receive phone calls. Wonder how we act when we know God is calling us, when he impresses something on our heart, when his calling's on our life, when you know we, we know he's whispering something in our ear. I want you to walk with me this morning. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to stop. I want you to start. I want you to, I want you to go. The way we respond to the calls that we get from people, it reveals so much about our relationship with them and the way we respond to God's calling in our life reveals much about our relationship with him as well. What do you feel when you sense the call of God when you know he's whispering to you? Is it excitement? Is it angst? Mephibosheth undoubtedly felt a flurry of emotions as he learned the king had called him. The king was searching for him. But this kind king had called Mephibosheth because he had a plan for him, not to harm him, not to hurt him, but to give him hope. He had his best interests at heart. He wanted to give him a life that he couldn't have away from the presence of the king and without a seat at his table. Friends, let me tell you good news this morning. There's a kind king who calls to those alone in the barren land. His heart for you is good. See, the king calls, but I also want you to see that the king carries in verse five. Look at it with me. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. See, David was informed that there was a little place called Lodabar, probably far from Gilead and west or east of the Jordan River. It was considered a, a long way from Jerusalem. It's a city that was characterized by its barrenness, by devastation. We can only imagine what happened that day in that small, dusty, Middle Eastern village. It wasn't a mini motorcade that came through. It, it wasn't a scooter with a sidecar that came for Mephibosheth. We're talking about royalty. When you think of this scene, think of chariots and royal steeds. They informed Mephibosheth that they would carry him to Jerusalem. Undoubtedly, he felt a wide range of emotions, the least of which was fear. He'd been called by the king, but now he was going to be carried to the king, essentially an ancient long walk to the principal's office. 
Mephibosheth had every reason to be afraid of David. This was very serious. It was the custom in those days for any king to destroy all of the descendants of rival dynasties. But Mephibosheth, he wasn't just carried to Jerusalem because he was a far way off. He lived in a distant barren land, but Mephibosheth was broken. He was crippled, handicapped by the fall he had suffered early in life as a small child, and he was broken in every sense of the word. He had lost his place as a prestigious prince, but now he'd lost his rank, his respectability, his reputation. He was living in brokenness when the kindness of the king meets him that day. You and I, too, aren't so different. Through Adam and the incident in the garden, we've suffered a fall, and we continue to fall in sin. The Bible tells us that we then fall short of the glory of God. But friends, let me tell you good news this morning. There is a king who carries the broken. See, there's a, a king who calls to those alone in a barren land and a king who carries the broken. And finally, I wanna show you there's a king that cares. Look at verse six, it says this, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David and fell on his face, prostrated himself, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. You shall eat at my table regularly. And he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belonged to Saul, all to his house, I've given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. You shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Hmm. Here's the culmination of this passage. Mephibosheth is brought before the king, and he says his name, Mephibosheth. He, he falls down before him. I am your servant. He says, no, I'm here to show you kindness Again, he prostrates himself. Why are you concerning yourself with a, a dead dog like me? David says, everything that belonged to your father, that belonged to Saul, you're gonna be taken care of. It's gonna be yours. Ziba, you cultivate the land for him. You make sure he has everything that he needs. In fact, I want him to live and dwell at my table as one of my sons. And the king cares for Mephibosheth. I remember when I lived in Houston and worked for a church there, I got a call one night from my boss, one of those late night calls. And he said, I want you to meet me. I said, well, I'm at a fast food restaurant. I said, I'go, I'll meet you in the parking lot. That was weird, it was at night. And I said, okay. And so I walk out, he rolls down his window, he just hands me an envelope and said, this is for me and a lot of other people. And I thought, is this a lot of signatures of like, you need to try something else? We want you out of here. I didn't know what it was for. I honestly didn't. And I, I took it and went back inside and went to open it. 
um, inside the restaurant with my family. Before I tell you what was inside, I gotta tell you, a few weeks earlier, um, we had gone through some serious issues at our house, and our house had suffered tons of damage, and I gotta tell you, for a young couple with young babies, it was just gonna bury us. And I hadn't told my boss about it other than just saying, hey, I'm gonna be late, I've got this problem at my house. I'll be there, don't worry. Well, I go to open the envelope there with my wife and I open it up and it's a check. And it more than covers everything that we were gonna have to pay for. And I remember just my wife and I just start bawling there in the fast food restaurant. I gotta tell you, people look at you really weird when you start crying at the fast food restaurant. It's usually, it's usually the tears that bring us to the fast food restaurant, but. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll never forget just a blatant, obvious example that the king cared for me, that God cared for me. You don't forget him either. Mephibosheth, he would never, he would never forget this day. What an incredible, what an incredible example of grace. Let me share with you good news this morning. There's a, a king who calls to those alone in a barren land, who carries the broken, who cares for the burdened. What grace by King David. But see, David was a long way from perfect. And though he was a man after God's own heart, he was after a lot of other things. Israel would have many other kings, each of them different, some of them righteous, some of them wicked. Uh, over scores of years, Israel would rise and fall on the condition of the king. They would be blessed or burdened because of the king. But there was one king who would be prophesied about countless years before he would come. And if you follow the broken royal road of Israel's history, you would see about one king prophesied long before that the government would rest upon his shoulders He'd be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. He would come from the root of Jesse or the lineage of David. One day he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. He would come at the proper time. He would be called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He would be falsely accused by Pilate and would stand before him. He would be asked this very question, are you king? And he would say, I am. And it's the very reason I've come into this world. Oh, friends, let me tell you the good news of the gospel this morning. There's a king who calls to those who are in the barren land to come and follow him. And there's a king who carried your brokenness, your sin, your shame to the cross. And there's a king who cares, who will never leave you, never forsake you, and calls you to cast your cares upon him. Friends, there is no kindness like the kindness we see in King Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, there's room at his table. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But make no mistake, he is king. All that comes along with it. There's room at his table, but there's no room on his throne. There's but one king, one way, one name by which we all must be saved. The scripture teaches us, bow now or bow later, we all bow before King Jesus. For every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
Who's the Lord of your life? Who's the king of your kingdom? You know, Mephibosheth, he wasn't in a place where he could bargain. He didn't come before the king with something to bargain. He, he literally brought nothing to the table. Friends, we all have to recognize that we're all broken before King Jesus. All we can do is provide him with an empty-handed sinner, bow before him, make him the Lord of our life. Good news is it's not what you have to do. He already did it. It's the kindness. It's the kindness of the king. Each of us, we too must heed the call of the king, confess our brokenness, and recognize King Jesus carried our sin to the cross. Then and only then do we receive the gift of salvation and the care that comes from a seat at the king's table. Mephibosheth was orphaned, but he came as, he became as one of the king's sons. You and I too, at enmity with God, away from God, our sin separating us from the king. When we bow before the king, confess him as Lord, you and I, we become sons and daughters, royalty of the most high God. See, I guess this morning I'm a, I'm a bit like Zeba, just a messenger. I'm here to tell you there is a kind king. He calls to those alone in a barren land. And he carries the brokenness of those who would trust in him. Friends, he cares for the burdened. There's room at his table. He's been looking for you. Will you come? Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I see myself in this narrative. God, I know my own brokenness. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. That you're a king that calls. God, you're a king that carries us. You're a king that cares for us. Thank you for that truth. God, there may be those here this morning who've never come to your table, never lived in your presence, Lord, I pray that today they would come. God, there may be those here today who have left your table, though children of the king, to go and live lame again. God, I pray that, pray that those would come home. Lord, I ask these things. I seek your spirits moving, and I pray it in the name of Jesus.